Destiny City, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. God is good, isn't he? You know, it was prophesied that this month would be a month of breakthrough. And I'm beginning to see some things breaking through. You know, in the realm of the spirit and finances. Other areas that God is working and God is doing. <clears throat> and I, uh, my message this morning is, is kind of a twist on... I was thinking about the blessed hope. You know, in Titus... It talks about the blessed hope, which is the soon appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the blessed hope that we have. But I just got to thinking about the hope of the blessed. Now, how many of y'all are blessed? Everybody here can say, I'm blessed. I am, I am blessed immeasurably. And Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, let's read it together. It says, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities. To be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, and to malign no one, or to be uncontentious, gentle, showing consideration, every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hating, hateful and hating one another. Uh, how many of y'all can say that that pretty much sums it up as what I was in the past? You know, we were talking about that this morning in the purple book downstairs about uh, baptism and what it means and leaving the old life behind and coming into the newness of life. And, you know, Ronnie brought out the point that when we become new believers, according to Second Thessalonians or Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's what? A new creation, old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So we're on the other side of Calvary now. So things have got to change. Things should be changing. We should be changing constantly as we grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. Because knowledge precedes action. We can't take action until we know what to do. But the more we get into the Word of God and the more the Word of God gets into us, which is more important because the Bible says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. So the more we get the Word of God inside of us, the more it changes us. And we go through that process of renewal of the mind is where it really all begins because the mind is the gateway to the soul. And whenever we, we allow God to speak to us, listen, folks, whatever we allow to get into our mind, into our thinking, will determine our actions, right? And our actions then will determine our destiny. Our actions will determine our destiny. The things that we act upon, the things that we do, will ultimately determine our destiny. So we were these things. And in verse 4, and I love this. Usually, I'm not much about, you know, I'm not too crazy about the buts. But, but here I like this. But when, everybody say, but when. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. And I like this. 
not on the basis of deeds which we have done, but according to his mercy, and by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Christ Jesus, our Savior, that being justified, what is justified? Justified never sin. Justified never sin. That's what justified means. Being justified. So I want you to think of yourself on this side of grace, on this side of the cross, as having never sinned. So that makes your past inconsequential. Old things have passed away. Okay? All things have become new. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Created unto good works. Created for good works. Created for the good things that God has for you. You have a hope and a future now. Whereas before you didn't. You had a future. But you didn't have any hope. You had a future. A future that was dark. And a future that was without hope. But now you have hope. In Christ Jesus. And it's all because. Of his. Grace. Grace. What is grace? God's unmerited favor toward us. Undeserved favor toward us. If we deserve it, it's not grace, right? We don't deserve it. But he gives us his grace. That we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now Jesus did a great thing for us. Not only did he save us from hell, but he made us join heirs with him, with, in, in, with God. Now that, that, that's pretty cool stuff. He took us out of the dredges and the darkness of our life and put us into his marvelous light. He's called us into fellowship with him and not just fellowship, in the relationship of being joint heirs with him according to the grace of God. And all that God has is ours. Amen? Now, we were talking about this the other night in our life group. We were talking about communion and how we take communion. And we're talking about the body and the blood of Jesus. Now, whenever we come together and we have communion, we always celebrate what? We always celebrate the blood. We talk about the blood of Jesus and the efficacy of the blood and how that it has washed away our sins and God has forgiven us of our sins. But we don't talk much about the body of Jesus and what he did for us through his body in that he bore stripes in his body so that we could be healed. He bore our sickness. He bore our sorrows. He bore our afflictions so that we could be made whole. Everybody say whole, complete. Yeah. He gave us a blessed hope. Now, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, what is it when we have hope? That's good. Such a powerful passage of Scripture. And, and again, just in case you haven't gotten a hold of what hope is, I want to give it to you one more time. It is from the Greek word elpis. Everybody say elpis. It's spelled E-L-P-I-S is pronounced L-P-I-S. And it means to anticipate usually with pleasure. To anticipate usually with pleasure. It is a concrete expectation or a confident expectation. Now when we have a concrete expectation, that means we got something to stand on. 
It means we've got a solid foundation. It means that, that we can take it to the bank. So we have a confident expectation of what God has already done for us and what he wants to continue to do for us. He's given us a blessed hope. And it's not just the hope of the hereafter. We know that that's what awaits us, is the hereafter. It is not just about the hereafter. It's about life now. When did Jesus come to give us life? When does eternal life begin? Now. The moment we are born again, we are made anew. Our life begins at that moment. We are eternal beings. We're going to spend eternity somewhere. We're either going to go to heaven or we're going to go to hell. We will spend eternity somewhere. But eternal life is this. Eternal life is that we have been rejoined to our father, to our Ganel, to our beginning, to our Genesis. To our Father, our Pater, we are the one who gave us life. We are rejoined to him through the blood of Jesus. We have given a brand new birth. So when we have a new birth, that means we're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Now we have a confident expectation. I, I, was, I was blown away the other day by, by what I saw on, on television. When I saw ISIS standing behind the 21 Egyptian Christians and they were on their knees and they were demanding that they either convert to Islam or face beheading. Thank God all 21 chose to honor Christ because they had a confident expectation. They knew that if they converted to Islam that it meant death. But if they maintained their faith, if they stood firm in their faith, it meant that in just a moment, they're going to be in the presence of the Lord. They chose the better. They had a confident expectation of what to come. So the resurrection of of Jesus from the dead gives us something concrete to hold on to. It proves that he's the son of God and that he's able to do as he said he would do. Jesus had several brothers. Jude and James were two of the brothers that we read about in the Bible. One of them, you know, the book of Jude was written by Jude. The other book, James, was written by James, the brother of Jesus. And we see these two brothers coming with their mother in John chapter 13. And they come and Jesus is ministering. They come knocking on the door and they said, Master, there's somebody out to see you. Your your mother and your brothers and your sisters are here. Because they knew what Jesus was doing. They knew he was going about ministering. They knew that, that he was making claims to be the son of God. And they're like, what are you doing? Are you out of your mind? These same brothers and this same Mary. They were telling him, Jesus, you, you need to come home and stop this nonsense. But Jesus knew what he was doing, didn't he? Later on. We see this same James, the brother of Jesus who wrote the book of James, who was also one of the pillars of the church in Jerusalem. He was the pastor or apostle. More than Peter, I mean, he was the spokesman for the group in Jerusalem. And and so we see that James became a believer only 
after Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Jude became a believer only after Jesus was resurrected from the dead because that proved that he was who he said he was. So he he gave us irrefutable proof of who he said he was when he rose from the dead. Now, that gives us something concrete to stand on because if Jesus rose from the dead, what does it say in the book of Romans? If the same spirit dwell in you, which also dwelt in Christ Jesus, it shall also quicken your mortal bodies by the same spirit that dwelt in him. You got the same spirit inside of you that was inside of Jesus so that when you die, you have a confident expectation of the resurrection. You know that ain't no grave going to hold this body down. It doesn't matter if you chew it up. It doesn't matter if you burn it. It doesn't matter what you do with it. Bury it in a hole, stick it in a rock, put it in the ocean. When the trumpet sounds, this body is going to be joining Jesus in the air with all the other saints. That's a concrete expectation. I know that. Well, how do you know that? I just do. Because God's word says so. And because Jesus has proven it, that is the very basis. That's the very foundation of our faith. Because the Bible says in order to be saved, you have to do what? Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God has raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. That's the basis of our salvation. That's the concrete evidence that we have that that we have an expectation of eternal life, something much more than what we have right here. Now, I don't know about you. That gets me excited. That gives me something to look forward to while I'm walking through this, all this stuff that we go through right now. These momentary afflictions and everything else that we have to endure are just small potatoes compared to what we have to look forward to. I have a confident expectation. I have a blessed hope that I can look forward to. Now, Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 13 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to, be, to, be, to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, And purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. When we have a confident expectation inside of us of what we have to look forward to, it encourages us, it spurs us on, it keeps us moving because we are walking not by sight, but we are walking by faith. Now, what is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the confident expectation that we have exactly what we are believing for. It's the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. I like what it says in the New Living Translation. It says, faith is the confidence that we have that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Faith says we already have what we're believing for. This is a confident expectation which is hope. The world doesn't have anything to base its hope upon. Have you noticed that? All the money, all the awards, everything else that we could ever hope to accumulate in this life comes to nothing. 
Some of you may not be old enough to remember, and some of you may very well be old enough to remember, and you might have read about him in the history books. But there was a man by the name of Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes was an eccentric man, a very, very intelligent man, a genius, as it were, and he made billions of dollars in his life, but he lived a miserable life. He disappeared off the face of the planet. Nobody could find him. And they hunted for Howard Hughes. And when they finally found him, he was in a little town in Mexico in a hotel room. And it reminded me of what had happened to Nebuchadnezzar when Nebuchadnezzar stood on the top of his castle. And he had boasted about all of the things that he had and all that he had accomplished in his life. He said, all the kingdoms of the world are mine. Everything is under my power, my rule, and my authority. And God reminded him that night of who was in charge. He said, I am the one who exalts and I am the one who puts down. And he, that night, Nebuchadnezzar became mad in his mind. And he, said, and he, he, he was driven to the fields where the dew of heaven fell upon him. And he said his hair became like eagle's feathers and his fingernails like eagle talons. They grew long. The same thing happened to Howard Hughes when they found him. That's exactly the description that was given of Howard Hughes when they found him in the hotel room. His fingernails had grown out. His hair had become matted. He was just a mess of a man. This man who had accumulated billions of dollars. For what? He wasn't happy. It didn't give any real hope to his life. And he wasted away in a hotel room in Mexico, away from everybody else. What would it have been if he would have been rich toward God and given it all away? What could it have been if he had had yielded his life to Jesus Christ and had that confident expectation of things to come? What would his life be? I don't know. But I do know this, that it would have been better than what he had. The world doesn't have hope. Listen, folks, you and I have a hope inside of us. We got something concrete inside of us. I like what Paul says. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to them that believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So listen, you got something inside of you. It's called the gospel. What is the gospel? It's not bad news. It's good news. Sometimes we treat it like bad news, like we're afraid to tell anybody. Yeah, I, 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 just, I just don't know if I can share this with them. I just don't know if the time is right or not. Listen, the Bible says now is the day of salvation. Now's the time. If you've got an opportunity to share the good news, it's good news, Brian. It's good news, man. What God has put inside of us is good news. It's not bad. Listen, it changed my life. It gave me something to live for. I've often, often said if it hadn't been for Jesus... My life would have ended up in one or two places, either in prison or in the grave. Those were the two options I was facing. But because of Jesus, he gave me a new life. He gave me a hope. He gave me a future. I like what it says in Jeremiah 29, 11. It says that, that, that God doesn't want to give us, you know, he, he wants to give us a hope and a future. He wants to give us something to look forward to. He wants to give us concrete 
expectation of our lives and something that we know that God wants to do for us. How many know God's a good God? How many know that Psalm 37 and verse 4 says that, that God wants to give us good things? How many know that? He wants to bless you. He wants to give you a hope. The world system is, is dependent upon circumstance. Now, what is circumstance? I'm glad you asked because here it is. Circumstance is a condition, a detail, a part or attribute with respect to time, place, manner, agent, etc. that accompanies, determines, or modifies a fact or event. That's what circumstance is. And some of us live our lives that way by circumstance. Just, you know, whatever's happening around me, that's kind of the way that I live my life. So we are, to, you know, the things that are, that are revolving around us determine how we act and how we live. Well, I'll tell you what. What I base my life upon. Relationship with God. 24-7. We were singing that song, Lord, I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. 24-7, I need him. Because the Bible says in John chapter 15, without me, you can do nothing. Talking about Jesus. If we're not connected to him, we don't have a concrete uh, uh, expectation. Twenty-one men that were beheaded last week by ISIS. I like what it says in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives even unto death. They were willing to lay down their lives because they knew that they could not take their life away from them. It was only momentary. That the life that they have was not in this body that we live in, but far more than that, it was eternal. The value that we place upon things. You know, we, 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 we live our lives so often, we live in the temple, we live in the now. When we have something much more to look forward to. You know, somebody asked me not too long ago, why do you go to Mexico? Why, aren't you afraid to go there? Why should I be? If God sends me. If God tells me to go, why should I be afraid? Is he not with me? Does he not go before me? So why should I fear? I will not fear what, God, what man can do unto me. Why should I? But I do fear God. I do fear what he could do. But my fear of him is a different kind of fear. It's an absolute respect and reverence for him. It's an awe of him. It's a yare. It's, it's like God is so much bigger than what I am. And he, he is Lord. And so therefore, I bow to him. I worship him. I adore him. So, what is hope? A concrete, a confident expectation. The thing about God and his word is that he determines everything. 
The Bible says in, in Psalm 124, verse 8, says, Our help is from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all they that dwell therein. Knowing that, it gives us a concrete expectation to know that God's going to take care of whatever situation arises in our life. It doesn't matter. He's in control. He's got it. He's got it. So whenever things happen in our lives, is there a reason why we should get all upset and get anxious and everything else? We have a remedy for it. What is it? It's Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Don't be anxious about anything, but rather do what? Pray about everything with supplication and thanksgiving. You know, just commit it to the Lord. Don't worry about it. Entrust it to him, knowing that, that, that God's going to take care of you, that, that he's going to give you peace of mind, that he's going to give you peace of mind and heart to, to not have to be concerned about these things, knowing that he's got it. He's able to fulfill it all. Romans 8, 8, 18 says this in verse 18 through 21. What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed to us later. This is the message of hope. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against his will, all creation was subjected, subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, verse 21, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. That day's coming. That's what we have a concrete expectation of that. This is a message of hope. And the child of God has this hope inside of them. Abraham had a hope inside of him that was based on the promises of God. I, I love Abraham. I love his, his faith in God and his, his, his reliance on God's ability to do what he said he would do. And, and in, in chapter 4, verses 17 through 25, this is the New Living Translation. It says, this is what the scripture, scriptures mean when God told him, Abraham, I have made you the father of many nations. Now, God is speaking and he's saying it like it's in past tense. I have made you the father of many nations. Now, when Abraham heard this, he was Abram, was his father of nothing. He didn't have anything. He had one heir that he had artificially gotten, Ishmael. But God had told him that he was going to have a son through Sarah and that he would be the father of many nations. And it says this happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and creates new things out of nothing. And even when there was no reason for hope, God kept Abraham kept hope and believing that he would become the father of many nations. But God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. How many do you say you would have? As many as the sands of the sea. I got, a, I got a little uh, homework for you. The next time you go to the beach, get you a bucket full of sand and see how long it takes you to count out each grain. Anybody want to take that on? This is how many descendants God said that Abraham was going to have. Wow. Because he was speaking prophetically, not just of the Jewish nation. But he was speaking about the descendants that would come through Jesus Christ also. 
be the father of many nations. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. I would too, wouldn't you? Now, I just turned 60. I can't imagine what it's going to be 40 years from now. I don't know if Becky would be up for trying again or not. I don't think I would. A hundred years old. Sarah was 10 years younger than him. So that only makes her 90. So. It says he figured his body was as good as dead and so was Sarah's womb. But did that deter his faith? No. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, I like this, his faith grew stronger. Wow. And in this, he brought glory to God and he was fully convinced. In other words, he had a concrete, confident expectation that God was able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too. Assuring us that God will also count us righteous if we believe in him. The one who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins and was raised to life to make us right with God. If we believe that, that is faith. That is confidence. How did God do it? He just did it. He just did it. How does Jesus dying on the cross save me? It does. It's by faith. How does one man dying for the sins of the world take care of all the sins of the world? It just does because God did it. That's what faith is all about. Hope, confidence. John says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, he said, Dear friends, we are already God's children. But he has not yet shown us what it will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And verse 3 says, and all who have this hope, this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. If we have this confident expectation of Jesus coming again, we will keep ourselves pure just as he is pure. We want to be ready. We want to stand ready. We want to see him as he is. And we want him to see us as we are because we want to be like he is. Does that make sense? We want to keep ourselves pure because when we stand before him, we want to hear him say those words which are, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We don't want to hear him say, well, well, you know, you didn't really walk by faith. You tried to do it yourself. It just doesn't work. Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. Do we believe God? Do we believe what he said he would do? That he's already done what he said he would do? That he will do what he said he would do? Do we believe that? If we do, it changes our life. It determines the way that we live our life. 
Because if we have this confident expectation, we know that Jesus is coming again. That he will judge us for everything that we have done in the flesh, whether good or bad, that we will have stand before him. And all of those things that we have done for ourselves, the wood, hay, and stubble, and all those things are going to be burned away. But all the things that we have done for him, which are the good, the gold, and the silver, will stand. They'll stand the, t- the test of the fire. If we have this confident expectation, we will keep ourselves pure just as he is pure. Does that make sense? God's doing something in us, isn't he? The Apostle Paul said in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 18. Now, he was speaking of himself and, and, and those that were traveling with him doing ministry. Paul was kind of talking about himself a little. He says, we are pressed down on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. What did Jesus say in John chapter 16? He said, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He says, we are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through our suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Paul was an odd fellow. You know, in in, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, it says, Oh, that I may know him and the fellowship of his sufferings. What did Paul want to know? He wanted to, to be a part of the fellowship of the sufferings of Jesus in order that he might share in the resurrection of the dead. I guess he wanted to know what it felt like. But he had a confident expectation of what God was doing and what God wanted to do in him. And so he says, yes, we live in under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus. Listen, folks, I want to tell you something. You better buckle your seatbelts. You better get in your prayer closets. You better get right with God if you're not walking circumspectly before him because it's not going to get any easier to be a child of God. There's a line being drawn in the sand. The gray areas are disappearing. You're either going to walk in the light or you're going to be engulfed in the darkness. It's going to cost you to be a Christian. It's going to cost you to stand up for Jesus. And you can just shake your head and say, nah, not in America. Time is coming, folks. It's here. It already is. The world doesn't rejoice because we serve Jesus. They see us as a threat to society. When we stand in opposition to things such as abortion and gay marriage and all of those things, which are an abomination in the eyes of God. We're a threat because we don't agree with the world system. And that's why James said, friendship with the world is enmity with God. If we join up with that, if we follow, if we march according to the dictates of this world and get engulfed in that, then we are being partakers of it. And it puts us at enmity with God. I don't want to be an enemy of God. We live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death. 
But this has resulted in eternal life for you. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith that the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. We know that God who raised Jesus, the Lord Jesus, will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. And all of this is for your benefit. As God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will give more and more glory. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. Our present, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. We can't live in the temporal. We can't live in the world of circumstance. We have to look at the promises of God and base our life on faith in God's promises and his word. The fact that we will live forever. That's a confident expectation. That's something I got to look forward to. This life will soon be over. I am more and more aware of it every day. Even when I bend over to tie my shoes, I'm more aware of it every day. (laughs) This life is temporal. But I have a confident expectation of eternal life. So the value that I place on this life that I live now is only based upon my life in Jesus, my life in the power of the cross. That's what really matters. Nothing else really matters. Everything else is fading away. It's, it's temporal. It, it, it'll be gone. What really matters is Jesus. What really matters is the promise of God, the hope of eternity. That's what really matters. I got one closing scripture for you. This is in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 16. The New Living Translation says it this way, for the scripture says, if you want to enjoy life and see good days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his eyes are open to their prayers. But the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But if, even if you do suffer for, what is, for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. You must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. I'll say that one more time. You must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. What does it mean if he's Lord? He's Lord. He's in charge. Right? He's in charge. Not me. He's in charge. He's Lord. And if someone asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. 
but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. This is the hope of the blessed. This is the hope of the blessed. We belong to Jesus. Our life on this planet is brief at best in light of eternity. Remember what Peter said about life? He says, you know, we we judge things according to time, but God is an eternal God. And the thing about eternal is this. Eternal is not time without end. Eternal is timelessness. God always was. He always is. He always will be. That's eternal. And you and I have eternal life, so our life will never end. It'll never end. It began the moment we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And if you haven't, then there's a promise for you that you can begin a brand new life right now by accepting Jesus as your Lord. But we have a confident expectation that the life that we live on this planet right now can count for something for eternity. Whenever someone asks you of the hope, and why should they ask you of the hope that is within you? Why should they? That's the question. Is anybody asking you about what makes you tick? Is anybody asking you about why you're different? If not, then we need to do some evaluation and see why not. Because our light should be shining. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You are salt. You are light. You are the light of the world. People should be asking you about the hope that is within you. And when they do, you should have an answer ready for them. It's all because of Jesus. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you about my life. Let me tell you about the joy that I have inside of me, the peace of mind that I've got. Let me tell you about my Lord. He's awesome. Let me tell you. And we should live our lives that way. And people should be asking. When they do, tell them about this confident expectation you've got inside of you. Tell them about this hope that you've got inside of you. Give them hope. The world's looking for hope. We live in a hopeless world. If you don't look, I mean, just, just read Facebook, man. It, sometimes it's almost sickening. All the hopelessness and the despair and everything else. I mean, there's some good stuff that comes across. I hope you're putting some good stuff on, some encouraging words. It's a good place to witness. But always be ready to give an answer to the hope that you got inside of you. It should be evident. People should be asking. Amen? So think about it for a minute. When's the last time somebody asked you? What is it that makes you different? Why are you so different? What is it about you? You're not like everybody else. You just, there's just something about you. People should be. Are you ready to tell them? Are you ready to witness? It's an open door, it's an opportunity. I mean, if your light is shining, you're going to have more people asking you 
than you can even imagine. But if we hide our light, if we don't want people to know, if we want to be incognito, if we want to be like a chameleon so that nobody knows, you know, we kind of blend in with everybody else. Oh, you're a Christian? Really? Well, I never knew that. Well, you're just like us. If that be the case, then something is wrong. Something is wrong. Because we should stand out as believers. We're light. And what does light do? It exposes darkness. Dispels the darkness. That's what light does. Because it brings light. But this is the confident hope that you have. This is the hope of the blessed. Jesus is coming soon. You know, last week I told you Jesus is coming soon. The week before that I told you Jesus is coming soon. I think the week before that I might have said Jesus is coming soon. So that means that he's closer now than he was then. In every moment that we live, we get closer and closer to that day, the day of reckoning, the day of judgment. That Jesus promised us was coming. And he said to the Pharisees, he said, you can discern the sky. And we used to have a little saying out on the Outer Banks when we lived out there and the fishermen would go out. Red sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. We could discern the the, the skies and know that it was either going to be a clear day or a bad day. It could be beautiful in the morning and turn ugly rather quickly. If you looked out across the sea and you saw a red sky in the morning. It was a warning. You could discern the time. And he said, you can tell the seasons by the budding of the fig trees. But can you not discern the times? And Jesus gave us some warnings and some things that would line up that would tell us of the time that Jesus is coming, of our blessed hope and our expectation that we know is coming. And he laid them out for us very clearly, very succinctly. In Matthew 24... In Luke chapter 17, you can go and read those for yourself. He laid them out there. And if those things aren't happening right now, then my name is Doc Solemn Long Ears and it's not Don Vess. Because it's happening. It's happening just as he said it would. Just like he said it would. So folks, what I'm telling you, it's time for us To line our lives up with the word of God. Get on track. Either get in all the way. Quit being lukewarm. Just get red hot for God. And burn for Jesus. Amen? Amen. Because we have a confident expectation. We have a hope. Our hope is in the Lord. The maker of heaven and earth. That's where our help comes from. It's in him. So. We walk by faith. And what is faith? Substance of things. Hope for the evidence of things not seen. So we know that we have what we are believing for because God's word says it. If God's word says it, that settles it. So if you want to know what's happening, don't have to read the papers. 
You don't have to watch Fox News, NBC, CBS, any other thing. Just read the Bible. Because it's right there. Right there. Just like God said it would be. Abraham heard the promises of God. He believed God. And God accounted unto him as righteousness. You've heard the promises of God. Do you believe? If you believe, then God accounts it unto you as righteousness. Not on the basis of what you do or have done or will do, but on the basis of what Jesus Christ has already done to provide for you salvation by his mercy and his grace. What is his mercy? Mercy is when you deserve a whipping and don't get it. His grace is when you don't deserve nothing but death and you get his love and his mercy and his goodness. And that's what God has to offer you. Amen. Would you bow your heads for just a You've been listening to Destiny City, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.